This is Adam G. Simon, screenwriter, the most recent point blank. And if you are listening to I Doubt It with Dollamore, something is terribly wrong in your life. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Episode 630 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the other host of the program, the lovely, talented, scholarly, and ready for vacation, Brittany Page. The fullest Jesse D. Fullest Jesse D. God damn. Let me tell you something. Without the fu. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I know we bitch a lot yeah. about traffic and shit like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's just... It's, it's, it's life. It's, it's life. It's, Cali- it's Southern California life. It's... Los Angeles metropolitan area life. Yeah. Last night, because we were supposed to record this last night. Yes. I say to Brittany Page, I say, <laughs> I says to Brittany Page, I says, <laughs> I says, let's go get some pho. Yeah, some that, delicious pho. That would be a nice little dinner treat the night before we go on vacation to to go out and get some good pho because the best pho outside of Vietnam yeah. is right here where we have little Saigon. Well, and for those who don't know what pho is, it's delicious Vietnamese soup. That is right. Yeah. Delicious broth and noodles and meats, if that's what you want, or some veggies, if it's that's what you like. It's a treat. It's so, a delicious treat. So we drive to the nearby city, super close, like eight miles away, seven miles away or whatever. And... uh we're on a schedule because we got to get back here and do some shows and get, get all the prep done and pack. So, you know, we do the California thing where we take the 55 to the 40 to the 73 to the 405. And then that's where we stopped. We didn't take all of those, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. Not the 73. Yeah, that's that's an extension of the 73 to get to the 55. I don't believe 55 that that's to true. The 73. That little on ramp thing is the 73. Mm. Listen, the 55, you know the little place, the little road that you can exit off to Bear right there? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the 73. All right, Stuart, we get it. All right. What, what, are, you, what are you doing here? <laughs> Devin? I thought you were going to get a drop for this. Yeah, I don't think I have it. All right, great. So anyway, goddamn, all of a sudden we see a helicopter. Yeah, two helicopters. Shine in their spotlights down on the, the freeway. Right. And then we come to a stop. Traffic starts to slow. Let me tell the story here. Okay. Well, you're just... you're. The traffic starts to slow. It's more dramatic than it needs to be, I think. All right. Well, then ultimately we were stuck on the freeway for 45 minutes <laughs> sit, sitting there. Not slow. Not creeping along. People are on top of their cars looking around like, what in the fuck is going on? Right, because both sides of the freeway had actually been stopped. Yeah. Both sides. And the two helicopters were visible from above. And cops had passed us initially when traffic was slowly moving along. 
uh, in the carpool lane and they went to the scene ahead of us. So whatever was happening was probably like 15 cars in front of us. Yeah. I figured maybe 25, no more than that. We were right at the front. Yeah, and so we couldn't see what was happening, but I have Waze, uh, you know, the app where people can communicate. I thought you were saying, I've got Waze to figure shit out. (laughs) No, you have an app. I I did not have Waze to figure shit out because I tried desperately to figure out what was going on and I could not. Uh, But Waze, the app where people like update along um, their their travels to show you if there are uh, cops on the road. Uh, they can report accidents, so Waze can update your travel route and um, indicate how long it's going to take or if you're going to run into cops on the road, whatever. Anyway, people had sent messages uh, as we were sitting there, and one said, helicopter? Question mark, question mark. Didn't one say, like, bad guy on the road, be safe? Yeah, and then that one was alarming uh, about how they're like getting a bad guy uh please be safe yeah so it wasn't an accident something was going on and you would think i don't know why i have this in my head but it seems to me that california would be more advanced at the communication aspect of it maybe getting out there on twitter and giving an alert announcing something on the facebook whatever none of that we still have no fucking idea what was going on having sat in traffic for Seriously, probably 40 minutes. Yeah. And so we ended up not being able to get fa. We, we turned to, around and came home. Yeah. Um, once we were able to move off of the freeway. But it, it is weird um, that we can't find any information about what happened. It was on the 405 right around Costa Mesa, Fountain Valley-ish area. If anybody out there knows. Yeah, I'm doing this seriously. Right so at that, the Euclid exit, right where you exit to go to, to Costco right there. Yeah, the Costco in Fountain Valley. This and, is great for our international listeners, by the way. Well, <laughs> it was so weird, you know, and there have been numerous instances of things like this since I've lived here. I think it's been... Um, coming up on 11 years since I've lived here and I have witnessed like a high-speed chase right in front of me yeah um, on a a, a a regular road not even on a freeway yeah residential area yeah um and I, I know these things happen but it was just so strange to have it completely disrupt what we had going on and I said to you what if we had our flight tonight oh my god I would have been losing my goddamn mind yeah because you're in that situation you can't move there was nowhere to go everyone was completely stopped you have no choice but to sit there it's also a reminder don't drive on E Uh, on ecstasy on empty on empty (laughs) come on now what is wrong with you also hilarious that it's on Halloween and we got Cinderella next to us taking oh, yeah. pictures of herself. <laughs> People are out on their cars looking around in full Halloween regalia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny to see. Yeah, But it is a weird thing in California on the interstates where cops will do this weird swervy move where they'll start taking up more lanes slowly, slowing all the traffic behind them Sometimes to a complete stop yeah. to allow for, whether it be picking up a mattress off the freeway ahead. Or a couch. Or just stopping traffic in general for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That's happened to us several times. Yeah, yeah. Well, we mentioned Halloween, and 
uh, it's past. It's no longer Halloween. It is, it is no longer Halloween. It's now November, guys. Uh, but I wanted to talk about this um, article very quickly. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the Thanksgiving episode for people to send in their submissions of what they're thankful for, emailing their voice memos from their smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I just wanted you to sneak that in there because All people right. skip over the uh, mid-roll. Yeah, and they do. you just got that in. Very nice. nice. So, no, um, the New York Times reached out to the presidential candidates and asked them, you know, they did this like favorite comfort food, right? They asked all the candidates their favorite comfort food. Well, this time they asked them their um, the best Halloween candy and the worst Halloween candy. So dumb. Okay, it's ask it- them their their best tax policy. Ask them their de- best healthcare plan. I don't give a fuck about whether they like Milky Ways. Listen, I think that it's very important to know. Um, because even these answers, I don't think it's very important, but (laughs) these answers do illustrate their personalities. Okay. And I'm going to illustrate that right now with fucking Joe Biden's answer here. (laughs) Oh my God. I was reading this and I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Okay. Joe Biden, the best. Quote, is he is oh. he fucking listening to himself yes. right now? This is Joe Biden's best candy. Ready? Snickers, Milky Ways, peppermint patties. He likes them all. The campaign said they did not offer a comment on the worst Halloween candy. He really? doesn't have an opinion. He's not providing. They're all good. Yeah. Necco wafers are delicious. <laughs> That chalky bullshit is A-OK with Joe Biden. Circus peanuts are just as good as a Snickers. How many votes does he think he's going to lose by admitting (laughs) that candy corns are the fucking worst? That's the thing. He can't even take an opinion on candy. Very weird. It's pretty remarkable. Okay. Um, Who are some of the others? What are some of the others? Well, so there was a, you you brought up candy corn, right? Well, it's, it's kind of the perennial discussion on Halloween is whether or not you're a psychopath who likes candy corn. (laughs) Okay. So several candidates are with you on that in terms of candy corn being the worst. All right. I will reconsider my vote for some of these if if they are, if they were previously marked off my list. Okay. Kamala Harris. Oh. Okay. Um, That seems like a lady who loves candy corn. (laughs) Um, Reese's peanut butter cups are the best. Wait, she what, says. What are they? Re- Reese's peanut butter cups. You said Reese's, like the Reese's monkey. That's not what I said. I said <laughs> Reese's. Um, and then she said, "This is going to be controversial. Candy corn is the worst." Okay. Oh, Kamala Harris coming with the correct. Andrew Yang is also with Kamala Harris. Oh. Uh, he said the best, the Hershey, and here's another, oh my God, are you ready? The Hershey's Variety Pack, Mr. Goodbar, Crackle, Special Dark, something for everybody. That's what I'm trying to be, guys. Can you tell? <laughs> Is that Andrew Yang? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the worst, candy corn, there are much better candies and better corn. Funny line. Come on. Funny line. fucking Mike Huckabee with his <laughs> shitty jokes? There's much better candy and much better corn. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, Michael Bennett also said the worst. Michael was- Bennett's not even running for president anymore. Okay. Well, he also said uh, <laughs> the the worst was candy corn. Okay. Now, here's the thing. There were two people that picked candy corn as the best Halloween candy. No. Yeah. Are you? Do you want to guess who they are, maybe? Okay. <laughs> two people. <laughs> yeah. 
Who's right. still in the race? This is all the presidential candidates. Yeah. So this is including uh, Joe Walsh. This is including okay, okay. Bill Weld. Okay, okay. Who said? Who said it's the best? Probably some asshole like John Delaney. <laughs> I'll say that. But then the second one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who's goofy enough to fucking like? Maybe Bernie. Okay. All right. Maybe Bernie. So John Delaney said that the best is candy corn. Ah, I was right. He says, it reminds me that Halloween is here. You don't need a fucking reminder. You got a calendar, Delaney. Okay. And but you were candy wrong. corn is trash. You were wrong about Bernie Sanders. That was just a sh- shot in the dark. Bernie, Both of them were. Bernie Sanders actually told uh, the New York Times to go fuck themselves and didn't respond to this request. You know why? <laughs> you know why? It's because if you're going to ask me a question, ask me a substantive policy question, not about fucking Halloween candy, New York Times. Yeah, well, we are spending like five minutes talking about this, so maybe we should take that note, too. Um, also, hey, Bill Well. Hey. Bill Well. Let me... <laughs> Let me luxuriate in my hypocrisy, Brittany Page. Okay. All How right. fucking dare ye? You have fun with that. I'll do it too. I'm right there with you. So uh, Bill Weld said, the best Halloween candy is candy corn, as a few bags of it make my wife happy for weeks. So they both like it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Candy, well, you know the you know the way to get uh, Bill Weld's wife revved up. Candy corn, everybody. Yep. Just a couple of bags of candy corn. Not a shocker that a libertarian loves fucking candy corn. You know... By the way, I don't even know why that is would be funny so, or a joke. I but. know that we're talking about this for like a lengthy period of time and people are probably like, uh, what happened to this show? But um, <laughs> people, uh, the New York Times, they actually... The I'm ca- already checked out. We're, about, we're on vacation. We're flying out of LAX here in just a few hours. <laughs> the candidates who didn't respond, the New York Times took it upon themselves to provide answers god i swear to god it's like what do you guys not have anything going on over there i mean god who did damn. this unless you hired a raccoon off the street to type this up i <laughs> don't you're wasting everyone's are time. you sure it's new york times and not like fucking tiger beat <laughs> it's the strangest thing i don't understand what they're doing over there anyway um so halloween is over uh, we hope you all had a happy and safe Halloween and enjoyed your delicious treats, whatever they might be. For me, it would be Junior Mints, my favorite Halloween candy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think mine would probably, not Halloween candy, just candy. Well, whatever. You know, why would I have a special Halloween? It Wouldn't your favorite Halloween candy be your favorite candy? Yes, but it's Halloween. So I'm just adding Halloween into it. Well, what's your favorite Christmas candy? Mm, my favorite Christmas candy. Let's see. It's a joke. It should be Junior Mints. Oh, it's probably candy canes. God damn. This is <laughs> fucking going off the goddamn rails. All right. Moving on. You don't want to share your favorite candy? (laughs) Moving on. Okay. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. We have two beautiful Patreon supporters yes. who upped their pledge, nice. their pledges, uh, DP, DP, and Andrew. Andrew. Thank you so much for your beautiful and lovely support of the show. We would not be able to do this without you. 
please remember, as Jesse stated earlier, I know most of you are skipping over this, which is really an insult because don't you want to hear us talk as much as possible? There's some gold happening in the mid-roll. Absolutely. Fantastic content. We during should the start mid-roll. sneaking in like profound nuggets about ourselves in the mid-roll, just so that like most people who listen to the show. Okay, I got one. Ready? Okay. I love candy corn. Oh <laughs> that's gonna be a good one. It's a joke. Okay. All right. A very funny joke. Okay. I remember being a little kid and eating candy corn by separating it out by color. <laughs> or like trying to break it apart to see where the the, uh, the next color started. Did you also avoid walking on cracks in the sidewalk? Of course. Mm-hmm. And in the grocery store. On the tiles. I must have looked like an idiot walking around in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that's what a lot of people thought. Look at that idiot kid. Oh, it's spotlight effect all day long. <laughs> okay. All the adults were paying attention to me. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, back to more important things. That was your little uh, nugget. Um <laughs> The Thanksgiving episode is coming up. We did post about it on the Facebook page. If you are interested in hearing old episodes, just go to dollamore.com, scroll all the way to the bottom. There is a search feature on the website. You can type in Thanksgiving and it will bring up all of those old episodes. And you can listen uh, to the listener submitted mashup that we play every year to get an idea of what we're looking for. You can also just go to YouTube and type in Thanksgiving Dollamore. Right. But, and uh, you'll, you'll find it too. But it is now going to be, um, we have less than a month because we yeah. would like to prepare the episode in advance of Thanksgiving and put it out. So and we have zero submissions. We have zero. So get those going, get in the mood, start getting thankful and tell us about it. Um, send a voice memo recorded in a quiet room to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Please avoid using your name, profanity, um, and talking about how you're thankful for the show. Although we appreciate those messages, it's just not what the show is about. Um, so we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for all of the different ways that you support us and support the show. We love you guys. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So in a previous episode, I bitched and complained about Mike, Mark Zuckerberg. I almost renamed him. And his 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 choice for his company to be paid by politicians to allow them to lie to the American people via political ad. This is a problem. It's not just that he's allowing them to post whatever they want on their Facebook page and then let the algorithm take its course and see whether the, the message or the post itself gets circulated by their followers. He is taking money. He is cashing checks from politicians to further broadcast political ads that contain outright lies, falsehoods. This is the age in which we live. But not all social media companies are taking that route. 
going to move to some major moves by Twitter. The CEO, Jack Dorsey, announcing the platform will no longer allow political advertising. In a tweet, he wrote, we believe political message reach should be earned, not bought. So to break all of this down, I'm joined by <laughs> Sirius XM host, Mike Muse. All right. Oh, what's Mike, happening? This is huge. This is big. Yeah. Good to is, see you, by the good way. Good to see you, too. Yeah. So what do you think of this? I'm excited, man. I think, you know, for so long, we in the technology community, and we were talking about tech policy and tech regulations, we've all been talking about who has the authority to regulate it. And we feel like we need an independent agency in order to monitor all the regulations that's happening because these tech giants are just what they are, giants. And there's always been this notion of they're too big to do self-regulation. But I think Jack just threw it down the table and was like, we are able to regulate, but also to an effective, meaningful, and thoughtful way. Mm. For him to say there is a difference between freedom of expression, which is what the tech giants have always said, versus paying for reach, yeah. I thought that distinguishment was dead on, spot on, and was right. And was like, yo, the whole platform of social media is for engagement, yeah. right? And authentic engagement. That, that is freedom of speech. But when you're starting to pay for that, mm -hmm. that takes away that argument. So in the meantime, we have Facebook. Do you think this was like a, a, a stabbing of Facebook, um, sort of, you know, putting some pressure on them since they won't take down their false information or any ads with false information in them? Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought that was a straight dig at Facebook because Facebook's whole notion for not doing anything with political ads has always been about because of freedom of expression. Individuals have the right to communicate however they want to communicate, and it's not, it's not our job to authenticate it. It's really the job of the consumer or the user of our platforms be able to moderate the content and then for the user to do their own research to figure out what is factual and what is not factual. But what Jack was saying was that, no, there's a difference. That, yes, there is freedom of expression, but when you're paying for that, and then he brought in technology about AI and machine learning and micro-targeting. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying when you're paying for that micro-targeting, when you're paying for that type of focus on those type of demographic, that no longer really isn't freedom of expression. That's getting around the system of freedom of expression to specifically target, which was then you can use right, this information for users who may not have time to do the diligence, right? If they see it, because sometimes we still see these platforms as the authority, mm -hmm. right? And yep. as you see it like as people are verified and they have blue checks, you know what I mean? And you see it with this authority. Totally. But if you see that that it's not, it hasn't been verified, then that's when this it becomes dangerous, what Jack was saying. Yep. He was like, the spread of this disinformation is dangerous when lives are at stake. And that's why he separated commercial use, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that was what was so brilliant that about it is the key here. So I want to ask you, what do you think this means for campaigns moving forward? Because, I mean, they rely on these things, they do. these ads on these social media platforms. They do. I think the campaigns are going to have to work that much harder now to make sure that it is natural engagement. And I think we'll be able to see a better pulse of where, you know, the demographic is and how they feel about certain candidates authentically. I like it. Um, Mike Muse, giving us the information yes. we need to know. I like how they brought it back around because I think that that is the most important point. And when what do you mean? Well, the clip up front said that Jack Dorsey made this decision because the engagement should be earned. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the thesis of this entire decision. And then they brought it back around at the end there and and said that right that you're gonna have to work that much harder to ensure that it is genuine engagement. Yeah, and you're not just funneling money to get attention. Well, the other the other aspect of this that they just talked about, and I think pr pretty well, is the micro-targeting aspect of ads online. There is a, down to the, the most granular level you can target ads. 
it's one of the reasons why businesses are able to cross-platform advertise their products to you. Mm-hmm. If you look at a pair of shoes on, on, on a website, all of a sudden, not just shoes from that company start showing up for you all over the internet. Mm-hmm. That just happened with a liquor cabinet that I looked at. Yes. Mm-hmm. I still get emails from Wayfair about fucking nightstands, Mm -hmm. which already bought them. (laughs) Don't need them anymore. Don't you wish you could just reply and say, I already bought these, please. Like, (laughs) I'm not going to buy more. I I love them. They're great, but I do wish that I'm, I'm done. So this is a problem. And Facebook's going to have to make a decision and do the right thing here. Who knows? Whether Mark Zuckerberg will will see the light. But there's more to this than just money for Facebook. There's some other motivation. And it may be a pure one. He may really believe that this is a, a matter of free speech. But if that was the case, why does he restrict the content of those political websites that put out the fake news? Why is he diminishing the the reach of their posts while allowing Donald Trump and others to blatantly lie and then pay to promote those posts? It seems to be incongruent to me. Oh, oh, well, what I was saying, (laughs) I was like, what was my point there? The point is, is that the political revenue, the, the revenue from political ads that Facebook makes is minuscule relative to the, the revenue of the company in general. It's not like they're going to be made or or broken if they choose to not do political ads. So there has to be another motivation here. There was just a report done by a guy named um, Judd, Judd Legum, Legum, yeah, yeah. Popular information is his newsletter. I subscribe to it. It's like six bucks a month. Solid. He's a great follow on Twitter. Solid reporting. Yeah, great, great on Twitter. This is related to uh, the Daily Wire, right? That's right. Yeah. And this is concerning for me because when you start putting the puzzle pieces together, yeah, the information Mm -hmm. that Mark Zuckerberg is having dinner with. White nationalists, white supremacists, I believe, like Tucker Carlson. He's also having dinner with people like Ben Shapiro from the Daily Wire. He did with Ben Shapiro. That's right. And then we find out that Daily Wire is skirting the rules, breaking the listed, stated rules of Facebook by having a network of Facebook pages that are owned by the parent company of the Daily Wire, who almost exclusively promote Daily Wire content, but say that they're run by just concerned citizens. Yeah, so there's like uh, 14 large Facebook pages that Judd found that are connected to the Daily Wire, and that's what they do, is just share Daily Wire links. So all throughout the day, it's the same daily wire content like you might as well just like the daily wire you don't even need to follow these other pages but it's a way to reach 
a, a much larger audience across all these different Facebook pages that may not like the Daily Wire so that you can still shovel your propaganda toward as many people um, that, that have eyeballs on Facebook. And don't kid yourself. The Daily Wire is propaganda. It is anti-LGBT. They hire nutter butters like Matt Walsh. It is not a, a, a down-the-line, trying-to-be-fair-and-balanced news organization. It is a propaganda outfit. Now, I wonder if Zuckerberg does have a bias there, or if not a bias, if he's one of these people who's bending over backwards, working extra hard, working harder than he needs to, to appear to be balanced i don't think that zuckerberg is a conservative mm-hmm. i mean you never know these tech knuck- knuck- knuckleheads oftentimes you know you got james demores out there all over the place who fucking knows yeah i yeah i mean i don't know but uh what's concerning about this is judd reached out to facebook and wanted a comment and facebook said that these are all pages that are run by real people yeah and he proved that it was not true. Yeah, and the, the engagement with the Daily Wire Facebook page is off the charts compared to Huffington Post, Washington Post, uh, New York Times, and USA Today. I mean, it's not even close. Yeah. And the reason that is the case is because these other large Facebook pages share the same Daily Wire link, sometimes within four seconds, Judd found. Yeah, yeah. Like within a matter of seconds, they're being posted at the same time to this large network of conservative Facebook pages. That, 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 that collectively have millions and millions of people who follow them. Right. Yeah. So there are people who are exploiting the algorithm, exploiting this system to further indoctrinate the masses with fake information, um, terrible ideas, and they are winning the information war. Right. And Judd sums this up very well in a tweet thread on his page. He said, quote, the Daily Wire exploits Facebook to spread messages like gender equality is a myth and LGBTQ people don't want to be accepted by society and there's nothing to do about climate change. In return, Ben Shapiro was invited to Zuckerberg's house for dinner. Yeah. So... What the hell is happening here? Are they just unable, unequipped to deal with the problem at hand? Or, um, as you're alluding to, is there some sort of nefarious activity going on over in the Zuckerberg house? I would I would be slow to that conclusion. I don't I really don't think that there's something nefarious, but you know, bias happens when you get to know a guy. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a problem with Daily Wire doing that. I have a problem with other organizations are not allowed to do that because it is against the stated rules of Facebook. So if the rule is not being applied evenly, that's where the problem comes in. Mm-hmm. If, if, if everyone can do what the Daily Wire, what Ben Shapiro is doing, mm-hmm. then fucking let them do it. Awesome. Then... All, then the rules apply the same to everyone. That is equal justice under the law. Right. Quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. But if you're allowing some and disallowing others, that is a problem. Yeah. We'd love to know what you guys think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it 
at dollamore.com. That same email address and method should be used when you submit your Thanksgiving, what you're thankful for. The other thing that is happening, last week it was announced, well, let's go back. A little over a year ago, someone wrote a, a an op-ed in the New York Times who was an, a high-level insider of the Trump administration. Do you remember the title, Brittany? It was something they were... They're working from the inside to stymie the efforts of the of the of the Trump administration. Yeah, I don't know. People have postulated because it's an anonymous individual. People have postulated that maybe it's Mike Pence. That seems bananas to me. Mm-hmm. But it is a high level person. Well, this person has decided they're going to write a book, still being inside the administration, still anonymously working against the goals of 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 Trump's agenda. But now they're going to write a book. Uh, yeah, Mike Allen's about to pop a good scoop uh, about the the book that's coming out next month by the anonymous White House official uh, who everybody's been uh, talking about. In that book, uh, he's going to the, the the person uh, who is anonymous uh, is going to write about very specific meetings that they were in in the Oval Office with the president. They have extensive notes. They're going to put a lot of the book in Trump's mouth. Uh, one of the quotes that we have. Uh, for the piece that we're about to put up is that the most damning things uh, that you can report from inside the White House are the actual things that are coming from the president's mouth. And so uh, this book, uh, this author, by the way, is also going to do another interview between now and the release of the book. And so I think there's lots of intrigue about who this person is, what they have to say. And and one last thing on the book, they're also saying others are likely to come forward. And part Mm -hmm. of the book, there's going to be a big push to get others uh, to join this author. So so I want to read a quote from the author um, uh, that we are hearing from for the from the for for the first time. And this is what the author writes. I realize that writing this while the president is still in office is an extraordinary step. Some will find it disloyal, but too many people have confused loyalty to man with loyalty to the country. The truth about the president must be spoken, not after Americans have stood in the voting booth to consider whether to give him another term and not after he has departed office. Hopefully others will remedy the error of silence and choose to speak out. The author also teases that uh, we will hear from Trump uh, directly. Will this new account, uh, Jim, push other senior administration officials to speak out about what exactly is going on in the White House? Uh, no clue. Like so far, many have not. Most have not. I will say next month is going to be the first month where people are. You're going to have not only this book, but you're going to start to have the, the impeachment hearings. Uh, some of them start to go public. And so you are going to start to hear from uh, people in what the president uh, calls uh, the deep state, but people who worked at the CIA, people who worked uh, inside the White House, especially as it uh, pertains uh, to the president's dealings with uh, Ukraine. And so you are starting to hear from some, but I still think one of the most remarkable uh, d- dynamic uh, d- presidency is how few people leave and then speak out, how fearful people are about the repercussions for their career mm. uh, um, or for uh, just their, their dealings in Republican politics if they do speak. All right, Jim Vanahai, thank you so much. Great seeing you, Jim. We're going to be reading Axios AM in just a little bit. You, too, can sign up for the newsletter at signup.axios. Ah, we don't need any of that. Uh, definitely not. Um, 
This is so disturbing on like so many levels. I I don't know what this person is thinking. You don't I, you don't look at this person as brave either, right? Absolutely not. Yeah, come absolutely on. not. Um, this person needs to be coming forward, putting their name on everything that they are saying, or shut the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, this isn't going to save you. By the way, no one is going to say once all this is over. Yeah, yeah. And oh, they I come was anonymous. Out, Right. Oh, I was part of the resistance, guys. I was right there with you. Uh, No, you're not. And you're not doing anything to prevent damage. The damage is still rolling on, bro. Whoever whoever you are. I don't know. The the reporter in that clip said he and then bro, don't come at me. And then quickly said, oh, I don't the author. Right. Right. Um, I mean, we know. I mean, there are women who work in the Trump administration. But, oh, he's assuming maybe that it's Kellyanne Conway or something. No, he assumed it was male. Yeah. Uh, that the whatever. Um, I mean, he by saying, I don't know who it is, he's allowing for the chance that it could be right. a Kellyanne Conway. Right, yes. Um, and I, I just, I think that this person might be thinking to themselves, I will be accepted with open arms when this is all over because of my anonymous efforts to inform the American public about what was going on. Right. And I just don't think that that's the case. And I wouldn't bet on that because the damage is still being done. You're doing nothing to stop it. Yes, I guess you could say you're providing us with an inside scoop we're that not, other people wouldn't give us. But you know what? We're not learning anything new yeah, from these, it's these not, revelations. Exactly. It's not very helpful. We already have the leaks. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah. If you choose not to believe the reporting that comes out every single day, just the unbelievable amount of reporting that comes out showing that Donald Trump is incompetent, then I don't know what's what it's going to take to convince you. Yeah. It's like the video I put out today. Yeah. John Kelly last week said that he regrets leaving the White House. He regrets mm. quitting as chief of staff. Right. Because he told Donald Trump, don't hire some. You need to hire another John Kelly type. If you hire a, I'm paraphrasing here putting a little bit of words in his mouth. But if you hire a Mick Mulvaney, you're going to get impeached because you, your natural inclination is to behave in an impeachable manner, is to commit impeachable crimes. This is who we have. We don't need someone writing a fucking op-ed in the New York Times telling us what we already know, not giving us any details that are really going to hone in to do something about this. The other thing is, I think, this is my prediction, this person is going to end up either outing themselves or being outed. Mm. Because not it's not like you have uh, meetings with the president where there are you know 500 people in the room and oh, it could be anybody. Right, right. If he, this person writes a book mm-hmm. and starts, as they said in the quote, you're going to hear from Trump directly. It's yeah. going to be easier to determine who this person is because of the fact of, oh, they wrote about this meeting. Who was in that meeting? There are records. Mm-hmm. Oh, they also talked about this meeting. Who was in that meeting? And by the process of elimination, they're going to be able to fucking figure out with good odds who this individual is. For- so... I just, I don't buy, I don't buy this. For the record, it won't be Donald Trump doing all that um, triangulation. That will be someone that he hires because he does not read. He does not read. I believe he knows how to read. I just don't think he he does read. Barely. Yeah. 
They write his scripts, his speeches, we'll call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really got a sick feeling in my stomach when I said that he has speeches because they are not speeches. Well, he is a talented talented speaker i heard don jr the other day oh, on god. fox news talking about oh you know i got my talent for oration from a pop oh god are you kidding me you fucking chinless dipshit <sighs> god damn oh. anyway mm-hmm. they write his his speeches um with phonetics pronunciations of words you know what? why are you attacking me through this <laughs> what? this is a low-key attack on about? me okay it's a low-key attack on Donald Trump. Not even low-key. I mean, come on. You know, I had to do Hooked on Phonics when, when I was you a were kid. a child, not when you were a 75-year-old man. I still struggle with reading some words. You know this. You have clips that you are going to use to extort me in the future. Oh, you're where, goddamn right wh- I am. Where I can't pronounce things like... Uh, mm, what? What was the word? I don't know. Anonymity. Anonymity. That's right. I should break those out. Because sometimes when I go on to the show, when I go to read a word, it it just doesn't work out. And because you keep staring at the word. You are someone who gets inside your own head more than any other person I've ever met, I think. Well, that's not a compliment. And you <laughs> I'm not using it as a compliment. I'm stating it as a fact. Yeah. It's just what it is. Right. So you you are in your head about the word anonymity yeah. rather than looking away from the screen and just saying what you know the word is. Right. You you just fuck yourself. Well, listen, not to bring the show down, but I also have trauma associated with learning how to read. Um, what do you mean? Hashtag raised by wolves. Yeah. In terms of it was not um, a supportive... <laughs> loving environment when i was learning how to read we won't go into details but oh, it was, you mean otherwise it was a supportive loving environment but not when i was learning to read well no no but i mean I it was generally it was it's, again it's the candy argument it was particularly bad when i was learning how to read um like in specific things surrounding that um so i it, it might be that although i don't think i necessarily carry that with me you know trauma works its way into little crevices and in remains in some ways i would know anything and about I, that right yeah none of us do and um <laughs> so i i i think maybe maybe that's some of it but mm. i don't know i don't know who the fuck knows am i right you are right Brittany page okay i should toot some horns for you because you're right <laughs> once in a while no this could also serve as the... Uh, I knew you were doing this for your own benefit. I no, swear to God, the this, look on your face. This isn't for me. This is also for the fact that the, the vote took place on the House, that they have formalized the rules for impeachment. Oh, yeah. You really thought I was going to toot my own horn? What, was yeah, I, I, what do I have to toot my own I horn about? I thought you got some sort of news alert. No, you I was going to look phone. at the specific vote count, but I can't find the email because I only had that much time. And then you started shitting on me while the horns were playing. Okay. So I couldn't find the email. You so know. while I'm talking right now, maybe if you understood how the show worked, you'd be looking for the vote count. But instead, <laughs> you're laughing and having a joyous, jovial time over there. Maybe daydreaming about preparations for the vacation. But you're certainly not finding what the vote count was, which passed the House with the support. Okay. The opposite. Two Democrats ended up voting with Republicans on this. No Republicans crossed the aisle. We do have one independent in Justin Amash who joined the Democrats. What is the vote count? 232 to 196. By the way, 
That was an impressive diatribe, everybody. It was very impressive. weather to gather around the eights over here. Professional DJ. It was very, very impressive, sir. Good work. 228 to what? Uh, No. 232 to 196. Yes. So please keep track of things. Now, you're going to hear a lot of people talking about this. That, oh, well... When Nixon was impeached, there were lots of people who vo- joined to vote. When Bill Clinton was impeached, there were like 30, Repu- uh, 30 Re- Repu- Democrats who joined the Republicans. Those were different political times. We live in more polarized political times than at any point in the history of our country. Donald Trump is literally bribing members of the Senate with campaign cash to support him right now. These are unprecedented times. Jesse, Jesse, Tulsi is a senator. <laughs> Did you see She that? works in the Senate, what, not the House. What Brittany, what, what, what Brittany, what, what, what Brittany <laughs> is referring to there, I'm just delirious because we're getting ready to fly to New Orleans for a week. All right, good times. What's her fucking name? Tulsi Gabbard. Ann Coulter. Oh, mm-hmm. Ann Coulter corrected someone. Yeah, and she still has the tweet up, by I the know, way. I know. What the fuck? She is shameless. Yeah, she just doesn't care. Yeah, she's like, it's facts, So guys. someone said, oh, Tulsi's such a Russian asset that she voted for the House impeachment rules. And Ann Coulter, why can't I fucking remember her fucking scarecrow name? Ann Coulter, speaking of Halloween... And Coulter retweets it with comment and says, no, she didn't. Tulsi isn't in the house, like all these capital words. Tulsi is a senator who wouldn't vote on, vote on a house resolution. It's like, I thought you were some political expert. You're, you're, you're someone who puts themselves out there as someone who knows what the fuck is going on. That's a pretty basic thing where Tulsi Gabbard works. For whom? Which body is she a member? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, um, <laughs> is not the Senate. It is. She is not. And she did vote for the she impeachment did. inquiry. So all of that bluster, her going on Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and talking about a distraction and talking about the division and um, whatever she was doing, trying to score political points on the other side of the aisle um, was meaningless because Completely she voted for it. I mean, I'm like very confused as to why she went along with the vote, because as you said, two Democrats did vote no. Um, no one will know or care who these people are, but Jeff. Pennsylvania and Matt and Minnesota, uh, New Jersey and, Jersey, and Minnesota. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just let me do the facts, and you can kind of sit there. Wow, uh, Jeff Van Drew. <laughs> And Colin Peterson. Colin Peterson. Yeah. Uh, Colin Peterson is the Minnesota guy, and Jeff Van Drew is New Jersey. Live in pretty pretty Trumpy districts. They both of their districts went for Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah. Well, and here's the difficult. Still, this is political cowardice, though. Go ahead. Yeah, and that's the difficult thing is when is it going to flip? When is it going to change for some of these Republicans? Because the calculus is going to shift eventually, right? As we start learning more information, as more evidence comes out. And there are going to be Republicans in certain districts, right? That have a very difficult choice to make because they want to make the Trump base happy. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, 
they have to appeal to other types of voters in their district as well that aren't necessarily Trump loyalists. Yeah. So it's going to be difficult for some people. Um, can Can I say this, though? Here's the metric that is going to change. Everything so far has been in private, behind closed doors, in a skiff, in the basement of the Capitol, where the House Intelligence Committee meets. Starting next week, some of this is going to be, they're going to start making the transcripts of these this testimony public. So we're going to know everything that was said. And going forward, witnesses are going to be deposed. They're going to be asked questions of in public. So this, this ability to deny that you really know anything because it's all been done in private is going to go away because the public is going to go know everything that you know. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is going to be a turning point. Yeah, well, let's get into a little bit um, specifically, because this is the big question, right? When are the Republicans going to start breaking away from Donald Trump? And that is a difficult question. Pretty much no one can predict when that is going to happen. All we can do is wait and see. But the reason that... Republican senators are so hesitant to break away from Donald Trump is because there are so many of them up for re-election. In fact, there are 23 Republican-held seats up for re-election in 2020. There is a greater chance of us flipping the Senate right now than there was, I mean, obviously, as time goes on, the chance gets greater and greater and greater. And the more that they hold out, I think they even know. Mm Mm-hmm. They're, they're in an impossible situation. Well, and five of these senators are actually in a very tough spot. Susan Collins, I think, is fucked. Susan Collins is one of those. Joe Manchin actually is probably safe. You hear what he said today? No. Joe Manchin said that if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, he will not support him for president and may end up voting for Trump. Joe Manchin, Democrat senator from West Virginia, is floating the idea that he might vote for Donald Trump in 2020. Wow. Get him the fuck out of here. So the the most vulnerable seats, according to 538. Arizona. Uh, I won't guess. Go yeah, ahead. Can you just... <laughs> I'm excited. I have, I'm full of coffee, yeah. man. Susan Collins... Corey Gardner, Tom Tillis, Joni Ernst, Martha McSally. Yeah. So you got the Arizona down. Well, I stopped guessing. I, I, I probably wouldn't have guessed Tom Tillis. Yeah. North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so these are these have been identified as the the most difficult races in terms of Republicans and what they're facing and being able to get reelected. It makes me feel good that a state like North Carolina is actually in play. That's yeah. a big deal. For sure. Um, and so- also Arizona. It w- how amazing would it be to have two Democratic senators for the state of Arizona? Mm-hmm. Get rid of Martha, the McSall- Martha McSally and get uh, get Mark Kelly in there. The astronaut Mark Kelly. So for, for two of these races, there's actually a slight Democratic lean to the population. <sighs> Um, Pretty great. Susan Collins and Corey Gardner specifically there. So those are going to be pretty difficult races for them in terms of what's going to happen with the trade off here as Donald Trump's standing starts to decline. And they're also fighting to retain Donald Trump's base. 
Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a difficult trade-off here for people that are trying to play to both sides. You're eventually going to have to choose. And if your choice is not supported by the majority, yeah, then you are going to lose your seat. Yeah, I think they're damned if they do. In those particular seats especially, I think they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If they support, If they do the patriotic thing, the right thing for justice and America... And they, they vote to impeach and remove Donald Trump, they'll likely be removed just by by virtue of the fact that the vast majority of the public uh, is is going that the other way. They're going to vote blue. Mm-hmm. And if they vote against impeachment, it's going to cause the populace to rise up against them and vote them out of office. Well, and Mitch McConnell is anticipating that the House is going to vote by the end of the year on whether to remove Trump from office. Whether to send the impeachment, send a trial to the Senate. Yeah. And so that means the Senate could vote in January or February. And those votes are going to be uh, being watched, right? Yeah. By the population. And that is really going to inform how people feel and how they decide to vote. Listen, I think it's possible that the impeachment vote, the vote to impeach in the House, I believe that it's possible that it'll be done before Christmas, before the end of the year. But I think it's more likely than not that it will extend, the vote will extend into the new year. Because as witnesses come forward and they are deposed, new witnesses become known. Oh, I talked to this person and that person. Oh, well, we need to talk to that person and this person. And new information. This is going to be, I believe, extending beyond the matter with Ukraine. I think in in the course of this investigation, they're going to be finding out multiple nations, multiple phone calls that were talked about, where this kind of a quid pro quo, this kind of asking for foreign interference in our elections was happening. Other phone calls that were uh, hidden away in this code word secret server. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I, I, that's just my gut feeling. Is more, there are going to be more charges, more things added to the articles of impeachment. Well, and I want to say that this is why people, what we're talking about here with these vulnerable seats, this is why people hate politics because it isn't about what's right or wrong. It's about making a decision based on what is going to retain the most support and how you're going to be able to save your own ass and and keep your seat. And that's not how this should work. It should be you evaluate the facts as they are and you make a decision based on what's right, not what is going to save your own ass and get you a seat. For instance, all of this talk, you're exactly right. All of this talk about well if the senate's not going to convict and remove him why do why go through all of this how can democrats be the party with more the moral high ground how can they righteously demand anything if they allow a lawless president to continue to be and act lawlessly with zero attempt at consequence They can't. That's the answer. We do this because the principles of justice. No one is above the law. We're going to attempt to apply justice to this person. If they end up getting out of it because of whatever partisan politics, we still did the right thing. 
We still held Donald Trump to the standard that any decent president should be held to. Just because there is a list of hundreds of things that are impeachable doesn't mean that you don't attack it, that you don't try to address it, that you don't try to hold him to a standard that previous presidents have been held to. It doesn't matter what the Senate does. We can only control what we do as a party. We can't control what Republicans do. And we can't let their possible behavior predicate what we decide to do. And now I will get off my soapbox. So related to all of this impeachment thing, I wanted to play this clip of kind of a breakdown of where we are and what are the key revelations? What are the things we've learned up to this point from these different witnesses? These witnesses who, by the way, are absolutely putting their country first. They're, they're, they're putting themselves in harm's way. This Lieutenant Colonel Vidman mm -hmm. is an active duty Lieutenant Colonel in the Army. Testifying, giving damaging information about the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Talk about putting your career in jeopardy. Talk about putting your own well-being behind the well-being of the country. That is the definition of patriotism. I applaud him. But these, let, let, let's talk about what these revelations are. We've heard from 13 witnesses in the House impeachment inquiry. Talk to me about the top line. What's the top line here? So, John, the most important person we've heard from so far is Donald Trump himself. And any discussion of the evidence here has to start with the July 25th call between Donald Trump and the Ukrainian President Zelensky. To give a quick recap of that call, Donald Trump talks about the United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. I wouldn't say it's reciprocal necessarily. What he's saying there is we do a lot for you. You don't really do much for us. Now, Zelensky very quickly picks up what Trump is saying, and he responds, I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. Area of defense there refers to the hundreds of millions of dollars in foreign aid that the United States provides to Ukraine, which is engaged in an ongoing conflict with Russia. Donald Trump then responds to that with, I think, the 10 words that will live in history. I would like you to do us a favor, though. And then Trump explains what favors he wants. One is an investigation into this crowd strike, which is this wacky conspiracy theory about the DNC server. And the second thing Trump wants is he says the other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, Hunter Biden. So this is the ask. And many people, Democrats, think in and of itself, this is enough to impeach the president. But wait, there's more. Yeah. There's this issue of the quid pro quo. Right. It could be enough. But you want to build your case out if you're an investigator. And that's where the witnesses become so important. I think the most important witness so far is Ambassador Bill Taylor, who is the top U.S. diplomat in Ukraine. He testified the other day. The first thing he established is that there was what he called an irregular, informal channel of U.S. policymaking set up with respect to Ukraine, led by these three. Rudy Giuliani, president's personal lawyer, no business dealing with Ukraine. Rick Perry, Secretary of Energy, and then Gordon Sondland, who is the ambassador to the EU. Ukraine's not part of the EU, although it's tangentially relevant. Taylor also told us the two things that Trump was insisting on, he learned, was that Zelensky go to a microphone and announce, again, same two things, investigations of the 2016 election and the Bidens. 
All right. So you have the text messages there, and, and yeah. there are there is some evidence that that Bill Taylor was trying to leave a record here, right? Absolutely. Look, prosecutors and investigators love text messages. It shows you what the people were thinking at the time in black and white. Famous text from Bill Taylor, which is consistent with this testimony. He says, "Are we now saying security assistance and White House meeting are conditioned quid pro quo conditioned on investigations?" The famous response from Gordon Sondland, another thing I think we'll be hearing about for a long time, call me, right? And then the other text, Taylor says, again, as I said on the phone, like you said, John, making a record, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance to help with the political campaign. Almost a five-hour gap, middle of the night, from just after midnight to just after 5 a.m., where he talks to the president and then comes back with this sort of cover-up statement. So you have the text message chain on the quid pro quo. Alexander Vindman yesterday, Colonel Vindman yesterday, goes back to the original call, the original sin. Yep. Of the Trump evidence you told us about. Yeah, so again, Vindman's Vindman's testimony is so important because he tells us the same two things were in play here. The president wanted an investigation of the 2016 election and the Bidens. And the thing that's so important about Vindman is he is the first witness who actually listened to that July 25th call when it happened. An ear witness. An ear witness, right, exactly. And he says his reaction to hearing that was, it is not proper to demand that a foreign government investigate a U.S. citizen. He was worried that it would be perceived as a partisan play, and he thought it would undermine U.S. national security. You wonder, no wonder why Donald Trump and others seem so fearful of his testimony. No wonder they're lashing out at him in sort of personal ad hominem, irrelevant attacks on his character. And, and of course, his testimony calls into question that of another <laughs> peculiar witness here, Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to EU. It's hard to figure out where exactly he fits here. He is a strange witness. He's got, he, he says some things that ring true, but he's also got some real credibility problems. So first of all, Sondland said he was, quote, disappointed by the president's direction that we involve Mr. Giuliani. Disappointed is a strange word choice right. there, maybe an understatement. Uh, but that is one thing that he said. And again, consistent. You see the consistency, witness to witness and the phone call, the same two things the president wants. By the way, He's not looking to bust corruption. Generally, all he wants is investigation into 2016 and into Burisma uh, and the Bidens. Now, Sondland, I think, has real credibility issues. If I'm thinking about him as a potential witness, as a prosecutor or an investigator, I'd think twice. A couple things Sondland said that don't really ring true. One, he said, I heard about Burisma, but I didn't know there was a Biden connection. I mean, Rudy's out there at the time publicly talking about it. Both witnesses we've heard from, Taylor and Vindman, said, oh, he knew. We talked about it. He also said... Sondland also said, nobody ever shared their misgivings with me. Well, Vindman and Taylor and others have refuted that. They've said, no, no, no. There was plenty of concern raised to Sondland. And he also said with his call me text, he said, oh, I just like to talk to people one-on-one. That's my style. It's so funny. Beyond Sondland, Taylor, Vindman, there have been a number of other witnesses that in some cases have provided some pretty explosive testimony. Yeah, there, there have been a lot, uh, some other important witnesses, witnesses. Dr. Fiona Hill, who was one of the top White House Russia advisors, talked again about this shadow diplomacy, this group led by Rudy and Perry and Sondland. And the, the, I think the most explosive, no pun intended, explosive thing she said was that the reaction to Rudy being involved from Bolton was that Rudy was a hand grenade, meaning he could cause all sorts of damage. We also heard from the displaced Ambassador Marie Ivanovich, who talked about this concerted campaign to remove her because she was in the way of Rudy's agenda. Can I ask you, big picture, who would you prioritize? If you were the Democrats running a public hearing in two weeks, who would you put on the stand publicly? Yep. Bill Taylor and Vindman are ace witnesses. I think their credibility is unassailable. They are nonpartisan. And I think their testimony gets right to the heart of the matter here and is consistent with the phone call and the text. They are fantastic witnesses to build around. You think Vindman shows up in uniform like he did yesterday? He should. It's appropriate. He's there on official business. 
So here, here's what I believe. Obviously, the witnesses like Bill Taylor and and Vidman are going to be are going to be spectacular for for the prosecution of Donald Trump in an impeachment trial. But I think it's being underplayed how damaging witnesses that are in the president's favor, like Sondland, are going to be. The other aspect of this is whether or not he's been subpoenaed yet. John Bolton has agreed, I will testify if subpoenaed. He's got to sell a book. So That's right. That's, that's one element to it. But he's not going to try to claim executive privilege, as we know not right now, as far as we know. He's not going to try to claim executive privilege on everything. And I believe that is going to be some damaging testimony. Whether or not he tries to obfuscate. Because unless he outright lies to Congress, that's going to be some damning information. Because Donald Trump did what he did. Just based on what we know publicly already, he committed impeachable offenses. Asking a foreign power to interfere in our democracy. Because if Donald Trump wanted... Goddamn, the Bidens investigated. There's this little arm of the United States federal government called the Federal Bureau of Investigation that is pretty good at finding the truth. That has the power to interview people and they will be, uh, it's a felony to lie to to a federal officer. So I think that this is going to be, there's going to be witnesses that are going to come out that are going to lead to other witnesses. This is only going one way. Yeah. And I I want to say about Vinman, the attacks on him have been intense. A lot of them. Shameless. Yeah. Very, very... Anyway, it proves it proves that people are afraid of what he has to say, what he represents. A lot of the attacks are not on what he said in his statement, which, by the way, I don't think any of the attacks are about what he said. Yeah. Which, by the way, we posted to the Facebook page and you can go read that in full. Um, I would recommend it, too. We didn't read it on the show because it's like nine pages or something. Yeah, several pages long. But but, uh, it is damning 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 what he what he revealed yeah so a lot of the attacks have been on him like personally and we we should always be suspicious of people who are quick to acknowledge or find the possible bias that exists in people they oppose and not able to find uh, or highlight the possible bias in people they support it sounds like you're talking about people like uh the beady-eyed wonder over on Fox and Friends. Uh, Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade said about Vinman that he has, quote, an affinity for Ukraine. And, quote, he speaks Ukrainian. He came from the country and he wants to make sure they're safe and free. So he can identify the possible bias with the person who opposes Donald Trump. But he can't identify the possible bias that exists in Donald Trump. The person who he perceives as opposing Donald Trump. Right. That. Thank you. Yeah. Because yeah, I. I don't think Vinman. I think he's a straight shooter, uh, non-biased operator here. Mm-hmm. And if he does have an affinity for Ukraine, it's because he shares cultural and language uh, similarities with with the people of Ukraine. 
He was he left there when he was like three years old. Mm-hmm. He his affinity and his loyalty is to the United States. He has literally bled in combat for his country, the United States of America. And for all of these fucking gargoyles who are calling into question his loyalty, who have never served their country, like Brian Kilmeade, the physical coward Brian Kilmeade, like Laura Ingram, like John Yu on Laura Ingram's show saying, "Mm, some people might say that's espionage. Are you fucking kidding me, John? You should we play that clip and we, just talk about that? We should. All right. By the way, I wanted John you to respond to this. I want to get some breaking news tonight. Fox News has confirmed that a White House national security official, his name is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. He's going to tell impeachment investigators tomorrow in a statement that's been distributed to uh, some media outlets that he twice reported objections over Trump's call with Ukraine. But get this, this is buried in the New York Times piece tonight, but I found it very interesting. Um, he's, a, he's a decorated colonel, by the way, in the Iraq war. But because Colonel Vindman emigrated from Ukraine, along with his family when he was a child and is fluent in Ukrainian and Russian, Ukrainian officials sought advice from him about how to deal with Mr. Giuliani, though they typically communicated in English. Now, wait a second, John. (laughs) Here we have a U.S. national security official who is advising Ukraine while working inside the White House apparently against the president's interest, and usually they spoke in English. Isn't that kind of an interesting angle on this story? I I find that astounding, and some people might call that espionage, uh, but it doesn't actually seem to add any new facts to what we know. If, uh, you know, uh, in terms of, I think Alan raises a good point, is this a high crime and misdemeanor? Whether you have one person or five people all saying, well, we objected to what the president said with the president of Ukraine. We have the transcript of the call. We can all make our judgment. Uh, I don't see how this uh, breaking news actually adds more facts Mm -hmm. to what we know about whether this is an impeachable offense or not. And that's something I think actually the American people should decide rather than just uh, the House. And I think they should decide through the next election. So let me explain who fucking John Yu is for those of you who don't know. Remember the torture memo that was concocted during the George W. Bush administration? That is the brainchild of this dickface. John Yu proudly wrote the policy while in the Justice Department that justified torture at the hands of United States citizens. Real patriot there. Real wonder, wonderful citizen really embodying and exemplifying the principles of fairness and equality. Writing a memo that justifies torture. He has the stones to say that Venman, well, some people might say that's espionage. <laughs> now, wait a second, John. 
And what's up with Laura Ingram with the, oh, wait, wait, are you, wait, get a load of this. Who the fuck is she? Well, it is an entertainment show. Yes, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Listen again to this shortened exchange. Just the part about the espionage. Now, wait a second, Sean. (laughs) Here we have a U.S. national security official who is advising Ukraine while working inside the White House, apparently against the president's interest, and usually they spoke in English. Isn't that kind of an interesting angle on this story? I, I find that astounding, and you know, some people might call that espionage. That is disgusting. He's floating the idea that some people, look, uh, no, I'm not saying me, but some people would say that Lieutenant Colonel Purple Heart recipient Venman is a spy, is guilty of committing espionage against the United States of America. Easy to make a claim like that on the propaganda network of Fox News. But the next night or maybe two nights later, when you're facing Chris Cuomo on CNN, and you, you're not allowed to just say anything you want and have it be unchallenged. It's a little different for you. State TV, a.k.a. Fox News, has been crushing LTC Vindman. And here's one of the ugliest examples. Here we have a U.S. national security official who is advising Ukraine while working inside the White House apparently against the president's interest, and usually they spoke in English. Isn't that kind of an interesting angle on this story? I find that astounding, and you know, some people might call that espionage, uh, but it doesn't actually seem to add any new facts to what we know. John Yu is the man speaking there, former U.S. Deputy Assistant Attorney General. Welcome to primetime. I respect you taking this invitation. Chris, thanks for having me on and giving me a chance to, I hope, clarify what I was trying to say, which was I wasn't questioning Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's patriotism. I have a lot of respect for people who wear the uniform, who are decorated for service in Afghanistan and Iraq. When I, when Laura was reading me the facts of the case, what I was focusing on was that it seemed to me the Ukrainians were engaging in espionage. And I am, I really regret the choice of words, but I was thinking about Ukrainians engaging. Right. I hear you, John, and look, look, if you say you're sorry, that's good enough for me. We're going to pause there. This is something I don't like about Chris Cuomo. He's another one who bends over backwards to appear fair. Yeah, 100%. When the fair thing is, why don't you prove to us that you're really sorry? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I didn't. Well, I was talking about Ukrainians. We just heard the clip. Now we've heard it three fucking times. Uh huh. You think that it's espionage for the Ukrainians to ask someone, hey, how do we deal with fucking Tr- Donald Trump's personal attorney who's peddling conspiracy theories over here, who is who is holding up military aid, hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid. How do we deal with this guy? Do you have any ideas for us? How is that espionage on either side? Torture memo guy. 
Explain that to us. But instead, no, I believe you. I believe you're sorry. I think it's great that you're apologizing. You shouldn't be let off that fucking easy. In this show, but I just want to go through it because you're a smart mm-hmm. guy. I've done my homework on you. Laura Ingram was trying to assassinate the character of Vinman. That's what she does. She's a proxy for our president. She's a brilliant legal mind. She's a talented communicator, and she is trying to protect this president. How could you have thought she was talking about Ukraine when she was obviously talking about Vinman and these ugly suggestions that he was working in both sides? You know for a fact they came to him for help with Giuliani. He was doing his job. How could you let her get away with that? I I really do think that the Ukrainians are the ones engaged in espionage. And I, I, How is that I espionage? went back and looked at the... Oh, well, you the thought government that's what she was referring contact. to? No. Go ahead, explain. No, that's, I, I, yeah, I was listening to her description of the story. And when I, what I focused on was a foreign government trying to call an official in our National Security Council and get advice on how to deal with Rudy Giuliani, who I agree with you from the last clip has just gone completely off the reservation. And I think that's, to me, an effort to make a contact and engage in espionage, but not on Lieutenant Colonel Vidman's part. I really actually don't have any doubts that he did the right thing in reporting his concerns up the chain of command. And I just want to make clear, I'm not questioning his patriotism in any way, I actually well, what do you think, think about Laura Ingram real- doing exactly that? I know you like going on Fox what? News. I know you defend the president from time to time. I have no problem with that. You're welcome on this show to do the same thing. But you're going to go on a show and listen to somebody try to impugn the character of a man you're now calling a patriot? What do you think of what you tried to do? What, actually, what I was saying, and, and this is, after, I think, after the clip you showed, was I wanted to say, which I think I did, was that actually Lieutenant Colonel Vidman's <laughs> presence or point was not actually... Materially important to the story because he was confirming the facts of what we already knew. Anyway, I'm going to stop it there. I love listening to people try to like work their way through a lie and they're not very good at it. He's like, well, actually, I said, I think I said, actually, actually, he's like the actually kid, uh, but grown up. What he's saying ultimately there is, I'm on Fox News. I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want to say because it's friendly to the audience. It's I'm not going to be checked. But now that I'm on CNN and I'm being asked questions about that behavior, oh, no, 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 uh, that's not what I, uh, how about the, uh, uh, oh, wait, this isn't Laura Ingram's show. I have to actually answer a question and not impugn the character of someone who doesn't deserve that kind of treatment. Get the fuck out of here, torture memo guy. Well, let's give the definition of espionage. Please. Yes. Please. The practice of spying or using spies to obtain information about the plans and activities, especially of a foreign government or a competing company. So under the definition of the word, was Ukraine engaging in espionage? Finding out how to deal with the personal attorney of Donald Trump isn't information of a government. That's, hey, we have this crazy old fuck who is an impediment to relations, good order relations between our nations. How do we fucking deal with this guy? This loony motherfucker We can't get around. You have any suggestions, bro? (laughs) That's what it is. That's not espionage. 
That's not even human intelligence. That's just, hey, you got any strategies? We have this crazy fucking bastard. Uh, <laughs> just take a breath. I know. Thank God we're going on vacation, Brittany Page. Right. So good. So we are going on vacation, like Jesse just said. I did just say that. And we will be back next week. We will be releasing a bonus episode while we're gone, but we will also be back with the regular scheduled content next week as well. So don't worry. You're not going to miss out on anything. You're definitely not going to miss out on Jesse D. He's going to be posting some pictures. Oh, okay. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram yeah. to follow the vacation. At Dollamore, at Brittany E. Page. B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y-E Page. Popeye will also be on vacation, just not with us. That's right. Yeah. With a, a lovely family. Yes. That will be watching him nap <laughs> all day long. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not watching him. That's kind of weird. No, I hope they creepily watch him. Okay. He'll have a tale to tell. He will have a tale to tell. Okay. Upon our coming back. Return. Upon our return. <laughs> coffee's wearing off now. Okay. Anyway, we love you guys. We want to hear what you have to think. Have to say wow. about what you think. <laughs> Good thing we're going on. This vacation. thing is just fall. The wheels are fucking <laughs> falling off the wagon right now. We need a break, you guys. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, we also accept voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com, which coincidentally is the place that you should absolutely be submitting the things for which you are thankful this year for our sixth annual. If we get enough submissions, our sixth annual Thanksgiving episode, profanity-free, family-friendly, positivity-filled Thanksgiving episode. We love you guys. We appreciate you. If you appreciate us, if you get value, whatever level of value, if you miss us when we're gone, if we haven't had an episode for a few days and you're thinking, ah, when are they going to post another episode? Yeah. That seems to me that we we do provide some value to you. I would ask, and I think I'm speaking for Brittany here, I would ask you to consider supporting the show on Patreon. $2 a month, $5 a month goes a long way if we are able to marshal the size of our audience. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon or just www.teamdollamore.com. We love you guys. We'll see you on the other side of our vacation in New Orleans, Louisiana. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I love candy corn. Oh, <laughs> that's going to be a good one. It's a joke. Okay. <laughs>